The year was 1971. Apollo 14 landed successfully on the moon where Alan Shepard hit a few rounds of golf. Disney World officially opened its gates, the NASDAQ debuted, and Federal Express was founded. Greenpeace formally came into existence while the Soviet Union launched the first space station into low Earth orbit and Sierra Leone gained independence from Great Britain. George Harrison's My Sweet Lord was released in the UK, All in the Family premiered, and Jim Morrison joined the 27 Club. Charles Manson and three of his followers were convicted of murder and conspiracy in the Tate murders, Nixon ended the U.S. trade embargo against China, and the Pentagon Papers were published by the New York Times. And on September 18, 1971, season two of the Mary Tyler Moore Show premiered. Who can turn the world on with her smile? Who can take a nothing day and suddenly make it all seem worthwhile? Well, it's you, girl, and you should know it. With each glance and every little movement you show it. Love is all around, no need to waste it. You can have the why don't you take it? Welcome to After All, the cross-generational podcast dedicated to discovering and rediscovering the social, political, and personal impact of The Mary Tyler Moore Show. I'm your host, Ariel Fisher. And I'm Sylvia McCon. And welcome to season two, guys. Yay! 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 Pop balloons. No, pop corks. <laughs> pop corks. We popped corks. We had champagne. We christened this ship of... MTM exploration as it sailed into the vast abyss of 1971 of 1971 so it's a new year um new information new things new changes and this season started with a bang pun intended <laughs> so uh, the episode that starts off season two the birds and um Bess. <laughs> So, Mary agrees to explain the, quote, facts of life to Phyllis's daughter, Bess. So, finally, we have Bess back, because we haven't really had Bess since the beginning of season one. And we like Bess. We like Bess. Yeah. We do. We like precocious her a lot. Precocious child. She's funny. Ever so precocious. Yeah. And ever so precocious here. Of course, this episode was written by Treva Silverman. That makes ah. so much sense. Our darling Treva Silverman, our favorite, and directed by Jay Sandrich. So... This episode is exactly what it says it is. Mary is talking to Bess about sex. Yes. And it all starts with a, I guess, WJM was doing this documentary program about sex education and what's your sex IQ. Sex IQ, yes. Yeah. So they, the entire episode was about sex and Rhoda and Phyllis both say they watched it Rhoda found it boring and she fell asleep and she fell asleep and Phyllis really didn't watch it I think or she said sa- she did she, she said she did but Lars fell a- Lars was snoring which made and- Bess sleepy right. so Bess fell asleep too but so Phyllis thinks that it's time to start talking to Bess about sex teach her about the birds and the bees as it do, were do we know how old Bess is 
We don't. We really, don't. We assume she's a tween. She's like 12-ish. Maybe? Yeah. I think yeah. my my assumption is that at this point she's about 12, 13, something yeah. like that. So she's young, but yeah. she's not that young. No. And yeah. So, uh, Mom, when did you teach me about sex? <laughs> <laughs> did I? Did I actually teach you about sex? I, I don't know. Did I neglect you? I have literally no recognition of the moment I found out. Like, I guess it wasn't that traumatizing a moment. But not. Well, I remember, and we talked about this a little earlier when we were watching the episode, that Jonathan, so he was a little boy neighbor across the street that you were friends with his older sisters, <clears throat> um, that apparently he told you about how babies are made. And you didn't believe it because you thought it was so disgusting. And he was younger than me. Yes, he was. But he had older sisters. True. So but I don't know who taught him or who told him. Maybe he had probably older cousins. His, or probably Alex or Danny, his oh, sisters. Probably. And I'm not... Both I, of whom are now married with... At least Danny with, has a kid. With children themselves. But I don't honestly remember... Like, I remember thinking as a young mother... That I would be very upfront and mm-hmm. very factual and I'm not going to withhold information like my mother did from me <laughs> because she was uncomfortable with the whole idea of sex. Right. Um, I think for herself as well as for the rest of the universe. But um, so uh, I don't remember when I sat you down. I think the way we did it with both you and your brother was if you ask questions, we will answer them factually. And we will open the conversation until you shut it down. Really? Yes. And for the most part, that's exactly how it happened. You would ask a question. It may lead to a second question. And then it's like, can I go watch Sesame Street now? (laughs) Sure. Off you go. Sure. Go ahead. Until the next set of questions. Because I think kids tend to want to, they'll absorb information in small chunks. Mm -hmm. It'll probably... um, ferment and percolate right uh in them and then they might you know more questions might spring from that mm-hmm. and so eventually you have kind of a, a formed idea of how all of this works right so huh. can i remember a specific event no because i think it happened in bits and pieces okay but jonathan did tell you and i don't know where in your education from the source you know from the oracle that is your mother and your father when did he come into the picture with this Whatever he told you. Right. Well, I do remember, I have one memory of getting information about sex education that scarred me. Like, that actively played a role in fucking up my perception of sex and and physical relationships. I'm shocked. And and it wasn't you. And it wasn't Jonathan. And it wasn't Dad. It wasn't Derek. It wasn't anyone in my family or friends. It was one of my teachers. What? Yeah. It was when I, and I was older. I was 14. And what teacher was this? Miss but we, I don't know if I should say her name. Okay. Well. It doesn't matter. So it doesn't matter. Teacher. It was some, It was my grade eight homeroom teacher. So okay. this was after I had left French immersion. I'd gone to a different, I had changed schools for grade eight to get out of French immersion. Right. And they were, I get, I, I must have had sex ed before then. I, like I had to have. Grade eight seems way too way late. old oh, to have. Sure. Now granted with the older curriculum and we'll talk a bit more about that, but we had, that was when we had the girls only and the boys only sex ed classes mm-hmm. where they divided us. Mm-hmm. And she said, and I remember it almost verbatim, that sex is seldom enjoyable or pleasurable and you will spend as a woman the majority of your sexual life uncomfortable. I 
vaguely remember you telling me this. Yeah. Not at the time. No, years after. later. Yeah. Yeah. That, that, should, that, that messed me up. Big time. Wow, what a sad reflection on her life. And that only as an adult was able to look back on right. that and go... At the time you thought... Oh, at the time I was the, like, oh that's so man, that's... Oh, I don't want to have to do it if it's that bad. No. Like, man, who but wants you're... to do that if it's going to be uncomfortable and, <laughs> uh, you know, aggravating? Yes. Like, what's the... I don't understand. What's the phrase? Close your eyes and think of England? Well, exactly. Yeah. I was like, really? really so no so that and I I distinctly remembered that being a thing that kind of screwed me up a little bit like it definitely it played a really big role in how I went forward thinking about sex how awful yeah what was because that, was, that wasn't that wasn't by it, it, she wasn't she wasn't sticking to the curriculum when she said that. uh no no she was not wow that's amazing that no one I guess no one thought to to either how would you challenge how, at the age of 14, could you challenge an adult no. in a position of authority oh, yeah. who says something like that to you? You don't know any better. No, no. None of us, no. like, why would any of us say anything about that? Unless someone was precocious enough to have experienced sex by themselves, you know, for themselves. Well, and, and then... Said, I, I beg to differ. Well, but then, yeah, you wouldn't, because if you were, at 14, if you were actively talking about sex or... And, or oral sex or anything like that. Any Anything to do with sex, really. If you were at that age, you were in trouble. Because you were too young. Yeah. But I remember, I have very vivid memories of the girls that I went to school with at Frechette when I was still in French immersion, mm-hmm. talking about all of the things they were doing yep. in grades like six. And they were doing these things to please the boys. Oh, yeah. It they was, were doing it for popularity. Do you remember this? Yes, I do. But do you remember this coming from me? Yes. Or... No, I remember this coming from you. I remember you I'm saying, like, the things. girls were talking about doing X, Y, and Z. Like, right. what, what's your memory of, of My that? My memory of this is you telling me about it, thinking that this was crap, that this was, you know, something that these girls were doing to be popular with the boys, yeah. and that you... You thought very negatively of it, and I did too. Not because of the sexual nature of it, but because of the... The the, pressure to be sexual to be liked? The pressure to be sexual to be liked at such a young age Mm. that that it, it was just so... Such a such an awful throwback. Just started a lot earlier than, you know, when you expect girls to be sexually active. Yeah. Whether to please the boys or not, you don't expect it in grade six. You know, so I was I was I was shocked at how young everyone was. How old were you when you when girls at school started talking about that stuff? Um, high school, like really? 16, 17. Yeah. So not yeah. elementary yeah. school, like about no. even kissing boys, like none no. of that. No. Huh. Now, I'm trying to remember. Don't forget, I was the immigrant child. So, you know, I was developmentally (laughs) delayed. You were. (laughs) (laughs) And you weren't exactly on the in with all the. I was so on the outs. With the popular girls. No, 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 no. Um, But I remember going to, like, dances and birthday parties and that sort of thing in junior high. So that would would have been grade eight and nine. So it was Mm -hmm. only a couple of years after I arrived in Canada. Okay. And we were dancing and kind of sort of kissing and girls and boys kind of paired off and liked each other. Right. But 
if anyone was actually having sex, I didn't know about it. Right. Not at that age. And it seems so... Quaint? No, it seems like that's kind of the way that it should be. Like, I remember yeah. even being... Because I remember it was... There's a, a girlfriend of mine who... I, I won't say her name just in case, you know, she listens to yeah. this and is kind of like, man, that's private stuff. Why would you talk yeah. about that and link it to me? But. Yeah. She was, she, I met her in grade three. That's when she started at Frechette and we became fast friends and she had progressed and developed physically really early. Mm-hmm. She'd gotten her period really young. She'd started to grow breasts really young. So I remember my best friend Nikki at the time and I, we, we thought that she was like the coolest and she was like so much more mature and everything. Mm-hmm. And we hung out with her all the time. And very early on, I'd say probably by like maybe grade five, she was talking about the stuff that she was doing with boys and how it was just no big deal. But why was she doing it? Because the boys wanted it? I think there was this idea that it made her... It's that that ass-backwards idea that boys will like you if you're physical with them. Boys right. will like you if you do things for them and if you do what they want you to do. Like, mm. you had to subjugate yourself in order to be popular with them. Right. And if they treat you badly, it's just because they have a crush on you. If they tease you or push you on the playground, wow. oh, that's because he likes you. It's that whole it's that really backwards mentality, which is something that you very much did not raise me with. No. Like, if they're bullying you, that's bad. Then they're bullying you. Then they're bullying you and they're not nice and they're not trying to get your attention and they don't like you they're assholes don't play with them yes so I very much had that in my head and I remember dating dating I say with air quotes because when you're that age you You don't don't date you don't date but briefly dating this boy named Tristan who I really really liked but I wasn't ready to be physical with anybody I wasn't... How old were you at this point? I must like have 10, been... 12? I was probably like 13. Okay. 12, 13, something right. like that. But I didn't even really want to kiss yet. Yeah. Like, I just wasn't there. No. I wasn't ready. And I remember this this girlfriend of mine saying, and she had come up to the cottage with us saying, he's going to dump you if you don't start putting out. Like, wow. he's going to... He's not going to like you if right. you're not physical, if you're not even kissing him, he's not going to like you at all. And I don't blame her for that because right. I think that that was really symptomatic of what kind of social pressure she was raised with. And not necessarily, I don't, I have no doubt that none of that came from her parents. I think it was from, it came from the boys, from the boys in the schools that she had gone to, from right. the girls in the schools that she had gone to, just from her right. social upbringing. Right. And even when, cause there was a boy that she had liked who we went to school with, who was actually one of the first people who who sexually attacked me, essentially, who was very physically aggressive with everyone. Mm. And when he and and he he just basically forced himself on me and I wound up pushing him off. But I was 14 at the time. Mm-hmm. And I remember telling her what had happened and her reaction to that was, oh, that's just him. That's just the way he is. Yeah, he'll do that. So. And it's like, so okay, you think he, that this is okay. You can, apo- you can, you can apologize away bad behavior. Yeah. 
And even just that idea that this is just the way it is. Boys will be boys. Exactly. Yeah. And it's that really wow. strange mentality. It's, it's incredible to think that in the not-so-distant past mm-hmm. that people who are now young women thought that way. And I hope that she has evolved into thinking differently. And I, I, I am inclined to believe that she has. Okay. Um, I would like to, we, we, we've, like we've to lost touch. We touch base right. every once in a blue moon. Right. She still wishes she could marry Derek, even though now she's, <laughs> she's actually engaged, oh. but she will always want to marry Derek. Let's just be oh, honest. Oh, that's so funny. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. But, and even just aside from her, it was, you know, like I remember other girls that I went to school with getting caught giving blowjobs to the boys in the locker rooms in the gym while we were doing play rehearsal oh, yeah. and being caught like by his mom who was oh. shot, who was helping out with the production of the play that we were working on wow. or something and, and stuff like that and going to like birthday parties and sleepovers and it being like boy girl birthday parties and being very aware that they were like pairing off and going into dark corners. Yes. Wow. Yes. And feeling very like, underdeveloped and I mean I never fit in with any of them I was the ugly duckling that none of them liked that all of them teased even the boys and so it was so it was very strange growing up around that sexual environment from such a young age like we were 12 and they were talking about giving the blowjobs they'd given and like ranking how many of them like I've given more. This is how many I've given. This is how many I've done. Unbelievable. Like, yeah. To think that they were doing that, again, for popularity. And that's exactly why. It was to and be popular the with the boys. And the is completely one-sided because I don't imagine the boys no, reciprocated. No. Oh, no. <laughs> no way. No way. No, no way. That just doesn't happen. No. So it's no. really refreshing that in this episode, what winds up happening is, you know, you have that that documentary that was on television and then everybody's like, oh... I wrote uh, Rhoda scored what a forty something. Forty seven. She failed. She failed. She 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 yeah. She passed she, her driving her driving exam, but she failed sex uh, her sex IQ, and she said she's not a very good driver. So <laughs> you know. And Mary says something about well, I got it. What did she get a ninety eight? She got a ninety eight. But she did, and Rhoda says, "Well, you wrote the questions. Wrote the you should have gotten a hundred. And she's like, "Well, I wear flannel pajamas." <laughs> so, and you know. Uh, Lou says basically the same thing and, and Ted is all, you know, going on and on about it. And the girl who works in sales got 100%, so naturally Ted starts paying more attention to her. To the girl in sales. Yes, and the yes. assumption is that he went upstairs, took her out, and they had sex. Because right. the next day, thank you for sharing in a very special evening and and all that, and gives her a single rose, and it's very suggestive. But... Then we get to the discussion and Phyllis Mm. is too uncomfortable and too nervous to broach the subject with her daughter. So she asks Mary. And Mary's super uncomfortable with that. Oh, yeah. Why isn't Phyllis doing it herself? It's her daughter, blah, 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 blah. But she agrees to do it because... Out of the goodness of her merriness. Yes. Out of... Because Mary will be Mary. Mary will be Mary. And so she sets Bess down and they start to talk about it. And she says... And Bess says, oh, are you going to talk to me about love? Because I have a lot of questions. She says, yes. So I'm going to talk to you about sex. And she says, oh, no, I know about sex. But what I really want to know about is love. She says, you know about sex? And then there's, you know. She... And she learned it from so-and-so and so-and-so. And then it was backed up by one of the other little friends. So they voted so, on it. So it must be true. Exactly. 
But what was so refreshing to me in this scene is this idea that kids talk. Kids are going to hear rumors about what sex is. And they're going to figure it out for themselves. That's just the way it works. I did, uh, to some extent. Like, Jonathan obviously told me something that grossed me out. And I came in and I asked questions. Uh So, and that's... And that's basically how I found out about it. But, you know, and that's... That's very true to form. Kids, even at a very young age, are going to be curious about their bodies. Absolutely. And about the bodies of others and all of those things. So they are going to learn that stuff. But it's interesting that they bring the concept of love and sex into play. As being two separate things. Exactly. Which brings to the foreground this discussion of consent. Mm. Which is so amazing. The fact that they would bring that up. Timely. Very. Like, timely for us to be going for through us. that now. Yeah. But even just at the time, like you said when we finished the episode, well, that was that's revolutionary. Yes. I think for 1971, to have an episode of a mainstream, very popular television show that isn't shown at 11 o'clock at night. It was, mm-hmm. it was not daytime, but it was primetime. It was a primetime TV show. I can't remember what time it aired. Mm-hmm. But um, to talk about... Um, sex, sex education, the difference between sex and love, consent, and when do you have sex? Because that came up in, sort of in a, in a bit of an oblique way mm-hmm. in the discussion between Mary and Bess. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And this idea of, well, I like him, but I'm not ready to do that. And Mary's all, you know, oh dear, no, 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 that's fine. And you don't have to do, you don't have to think about that for a long, long time. Mm-hmm. Interestingly, and we discussed this before, mm-hmm. no mention is made of marriage, which yep. I think is very refreshing as well, that Mary wasn't being judgmental and preachy and said, we don't have sex until we get married. She just said, you don't have to think about that for a long time because well, exactly. this is very young. Uh, and the times uh, they were changing, you know, it was yeah. after the summer of free love. It was, you know, 1969 had come and gone. Available. The pill was available. Yeah. And women, you know, women's rights was becoming more prevalent, you know, in day-to-day activities. And just this idea of liberation and of sex being something that you can enjoy and not something that's just for married life. No, and you it's know. not just for procreation. No. And you can choose to engage or not engage when you're ready. And of course, I mean, people had been having premarital sex well up until this time. It wasn't 1920, you know, where it was super frowned upon. We're talking 1971. Sex out of wedlock had been happening for some time. It had been happening forever. Well, yes. (laughs) But whether or not it was like... Accepted. Exactly. It was becoming more accepted at this stage. Exactly. And it was something that now you can talk about, even without really talking about it, like you said, the way Mary doesn't... You can talk it obliquely. Exactly. You can talk around it, talk in, you know, in in, in adjacent... Exactly. Yes. Talk adjacent to it. Right. But, and that in and of itself is kind of relevant, this whole thing. Um, At the time that we're recording this, uh, Doug Ford, uh, shit child bastard brother of... Uh, the late Rob, of, Rob the, of the late not great Rob Ford um, is has been elected the head of the Progressive Conservative Party of Canada of Ontario of Ontario. Sorry, sorry. thank God it's not Canada. That just slipped out. I knew it was bad. Ontario, but it's that like would be bad. I'm still kind of incredulous that they gave it to him because yes. I think the woman who was running was actually decent or no. The, his closest competitor is um, Christine Elliott, mm-hmm. who. Depending on how, and I don't know enough about how the voting happened, but it's as if she won the popular vote and he won the 
the elected votes or something like that. So they're very, very close. She's highly qualified. She's a lawyer. She's been in politics before. She's well-respected. Mm -hmm. um, and f for whatever reason, he won. And one of the reasons, as we were discussing before, <clears throat> has to do with um, the other runners in this mm -hmm. race will throw their support behind one or other candidates when they realize that they have no chance of winning. Mm -hmm. So the candidate that threw her support behind um, uh, Doug Ford, and I can't remember her name off the top of my head, but her single issue mm -hmm. was to repeal and abolish the current sex ed curriculum in Ontario. So her voters and her candidates or her members of the party that voted for her mm -hmm. All that support went behind Doug Ford, and I think that made him. I don't know if that was the only thing that made him win, but it was a big thing. It was, um, yeah. So a part of his campaign now is yes. the desire to abolish the current, the updated uh, sex ed curriculum, which was updated in 2015 for the first time since 1998. The Ontario mm -hmm. sex ed curriculum had not been updated since 1998. Like, come on, guys. Things Lots changed. changed. Things changed. Like even just cell phone culture alone, which actually factors into the curriculum. Quite prominently, actually. And um, there was a lot of consultation with parents in the province mm -hmm. and with educators to uh, prior to the curriculum being enacted. So it wasn't, as Doug Ford, I think, um, uh, says in his speeches that you know this curriculum was just a liberal agenda and a liberal ideological agenda that was just parachuted in no. not so not no. so it was They'd... very carefully researched oh yeah they had been working on it for over eight years they had consulted physicians psychologists uh relationship therapists like you name it they they consulted a myriad of experts on the subject and this whole myth that oh the parents were never asked they polled over 4,000 parents yeah. uh, about this new curriculum. And again, over eight years worth of research and development before anything was implemented. Mm -hmm. So it was worked on and it was honed and it was approved before yep. it went into play. And it was a necessary update. So some of the things that this new Ontario curriculum has is, um, so this is taken from an article uh published by i believe it was through global news um grade one students will learn how to understand nonverbal signs like facial expressions and tone of voice as well as the proper names for body parts which was already in the old curriculum other changes include students in grade two will learn about the stages of development and related bodily changes along with the concept that no means no. So in grade two, they're going to be learning about consent, which is incredibly important because in grade two, you don't really understand that stuff. You're seven years old, give or take. You're, you know, you'll, you'll hit kids. You'll push kids. You'll get hit and you'll get pushed. And that, that's the idea of no means no as well. So this concept of consent expands beyond sex ed it's it's something that you should be learning when you're really young mm -hmm. because this idea that nobody has the right to touch your body in any way shape or form without your consent 
goes to issues of, yeah, violence, aggression, things like that, and translates and transcends as you grow up, right? So that's incredibly important. Uh, by grade three, students will learn about same-sex relationships with which Kathleen Wynne, for all her failings, <laughs> uh, the first openly gay premiere said would help kids with two moms or two dads feel their families are just like everyone else's. And that's so important also, not just not just to feel that their families are just like anyone else's, but also to kind of normalize this discussion of sexuality and make them feel like, you know, why wouldn't this be included? Right. Why, why wouldn't you have the discussion of same sex couple? I mean, I get it because conservative culture would. True. But this is here in Ontario. Um, I mean, Canada is very liberal. Ontario is very liberal. Mm -hmm. And I know we are very Toronto centric and this applies to the whole province. Mm -hmm. But Toronto being the one of the most liberal um, cities in the world, the most multicultural city in the world. And the most accepting of one of the most accepting of um, we're the most multicultural city in the world. Apparently so. Huh. Yes. Interesting. And and very accepting of uh, uh, same sex uh, people of, <laughs> of LGBT. <laughs> Sorry, I don't even know how to. How to the say LGBT it. community and same sex couples. The LGBT community, and I think people feel safe here and they feel accepted here for the most part. And. Which is not to say that what happens in Toronto is the same as what happens in Timmins. Or, no, it's absolutely you know, and, and it's, not. And it's quite, quite different. But to, but to make the assumption that because some rural communities <clears throat> are not as open, that it shouldn't be in the curriculum, mm -hmm. seems narrow-minded. Yes. No, very much so. And there was a lot, there was controversy <clears throat> over this curriculum, and there were some schools in certain suburbs of Toronto that protested against it because they felt that it's just too much and it's too open and the kids yeah. are too young. Well, even and like as it, and as it continue, as the breakdown continues, you'll see why. I mean, aside from this issue that we've already discussed, the concepts of consent and same-sex couples, which of course conservative people would have an issue with because yeah. they've got to stick so far up their ass. They're basically spouting, you know, wood, wood chips. Uh, children in grade four and up will learn about will learn more about the dangers of online bullying and of posting or sharing sexual images, while specific lessons on the dangers of sexting will come in grade seven. One change in the new curriculum will be lessons about puberty will move from grade five to grade four, which I said as before we started. Makes sense. Duh. What good are lessons about puberty if you're already going through it? Right. Like, push it up, make it earlier so that they know what's going to happen. There is nothing worse than being, not knowing not what's happening knowing. when all of a sudden you start bleeding. Yeah. Or you start scary. getting hair or you're noticing yeah. parts of your body are starting to swell in weird ways. It's <laughs> like, hello, this would be nice to know about before it starts yeah. to happen. Yeah. And students in grade six will be taught about masturbation and, quote, gender expression, while kids in grades seven and eight will discuss contraception, anal and oral sex, preventing pregnancy, and sexually transmitted infections. So, as we've already discussed, when I was 12 years old, girls were starting to give blowjobs and handjobs. And there was, there were rumors about anal sex. There were rumors. And I heard them from the girls themselves. So wow. I say they were rumors because... It's possible that it was the type of thing that they were talking about to seem cool and it wasn't necessarily something they had actually done. 
So I don't obviously have any proof, but I was told by these girls themselves that, that they, they were, were doing, doing it and they were talking about it with pride. Wow. So if we start educating kids about this stuff really early, then maybe they'll recognize that it's not a tool to use to get what you want and I don't even or to get attention. What it, yeah, what is it that they would have wanted? They just wanted attention from boys to be popular? Yeah, a- attention, validation. Wow. It was That was... The validation of the opposite sex was a huge commodity at that time. Yeah. I remember. Because I didn't put up with any of their bullshit. No. I mean, when I, had the, when I wasn't scared enough to stand up for myself, I didn't yeah. put up with their crap. Yeah. So I would stand up to boys. And girls that I went to school with would tell me all the time, nobody's ever going to like you if you're so mean. I was like, I don't care. <laughs> I say that now. At the time, I really did care. Right. But I also knew... I knew my own mind enough to know that I'm not going to pretend to do something else. not a good thing for you to do. No. No. But all of these things, like, why wouldn't we teach kids about masturbation? You know, exactly. it's, it's not the 1930s anymore. We're not trying to make them feel shame for touching themselves. We're not, it's not like we're going to strap them into some weird harness to prevent them from touching themselves anymore. You know, we're not barbaric anymore. Why would we, why would we make someone feel shame about a perfectly normal, natural, healthy self-expression? Religion, that's why. Because, because those kinds of taboos all have a religious overlay. Most religions with you know spout um um against masturbation mm-hmm. and so there there's still a residue of that in the in the community and in sex ed but luckily in this case <clears throat> they do talk about it and I don't know how they uh, how they address it hopefully they address it in a fairly uh neutral uh, non-judgmental kind of way mm-hmm. so that kids who likely already are doing that kind of can say, okay. Well, cool. it's it's like this whole idea. I mean, I just... I get parents being uncomfortable about this, but one of the biggest arguments that's been made is that parents teaching children about sex is a job that should fall to parents. Yes. And I get on a moral ground why that would seem like a valid option, but at the same time, and like, let's be honest, no matter what your kids learn, so long as you've built the good found, a foundation for a good relationship with them, they're going to ask you questions. Yeah. So you have the, you should have the opportunity no matter what to course correct or to guide further right. and to instruct further, anything like that. In an ideal world, you would like to hear that your children have gone to school and have learned sex ed and it's more a review of what they've already learned at home. In, yes, ideally. In an ideal world, your, the timing should be such that their, their comfort with asking questions and their curiosity mm-hmm. would precede um, the timelines that the curriculum has. Yeah. So that you can come home from school in grade four and say, Mom, uh, you know what we were talking about the other week about blah, 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 blah. We learned that in school today. Yeah. And you were, and yeah, and the teacher said exactly what you said. Yeah. Or the teacher told me this, this, and this too. Yeah. Like if you're learning about, you know, bodily functions and when it's the nuts and bolts of, of sexuality yeah. and it's down to, you know, ovaries and fallopian tubes and testes and vas deferens and reproduction yeah. and like, 
the actual fundamentals yeah, of things, yeah, then the yeah. physiology and anatomy of reproduction. Mm-hmm. And that's, I don't think parents have too much of an issue with that part. No. It's the, it's the value <clears throat> judgment of sex and yeah. enjoyment and yeah how you do it and it but it's also a a big thing that a lot of people seem to have issue with and it does fall into this notion of whether or not someone's super conservative and and religion it it falls along um uh political and religious guidelines party lines well because people are people object to uh talking about same-sex couples yeah. and the LGBTQ community yeah. and people and sexual identity mm-hmm. and sexuality in general. Uh, masturbation is a hot topic. Consent, for some reason, is something that parents do not want taught to their kids. How is that? How is I, that remotely a bad thing? Because it's ugly and it's messy. And if you're talk, if you have to talk about the idea of consent, then you have to talk about the idea of assault and abuse and what could happen. Right. You if you're if you're talking about those issues, it means that it brings up all this ugly stuff, too. And parents, you know, the the very vocal minority that were outraged when the curriculum was put in place. These are some of the biggest issues that they, they took know, issue they, oh, with. Okay. That's interesting. The other thing that, as you were saying, that if you talk about consent, you're talking also about assault. Mm-hmm. And it occurred to me that. When you're talking about consent for women, it also implies that you as a woman want to have sex. Exactly. And the idea that a woman, the idea that a woman wants sex is also quite taboo because women are not supposed to want sex. They're supposed to be the passive recipients of sex. Exactly. Right. That's com- and that's completely it. We are supposed to be passive bystanders in our own sexuality. We're receptacles, and that's such bullshit. And that's such bullshit. But it's, f- it's f- so if you talk about consent, it's it's saying I'm a sexual being and I want to have sex with you. Yeah. And no parent wants their no conservative parent wants their child to have a sexual appetite. No. Because the idea of having, yeah, because that's something that no child they're, they're should have. They're girl child. I'm sorry. It, I need to specify because yes. for boys it's okay. Well, exactly. Oh, boys will be boys, yes. you know. Those like, horny boys. Well, you know, Brock Turner's father did say why should he have to suffer the rest of his life for 20 minutes of, uh, what Whatever. did he say? I don't remember the word he used. It was it, it was something deplorable. He right. reduced the, the shattering of this woman's life to 20 minutes of, of indiscretion or something yeah. stupid like yeah. that. But boys will be boys, so why should he have to suffer? He's a great swimmer, did you know? But there's actually this... I don't know if you, Mom, have seen this or anyone else listening, but there's a, there's an amazing show on Netflix called Big Mouth. Have you seen this? Have you heard of this? I have not. It's an animated show from the perspective of preteens. Okay. So they're children. They're voiced by adults. It's a show... It's not a show for kids. It's a show for adults, but it's from the perspective of, of young preteens as they are going through puberty. And their interaction with puberty. And it's hilarious. And there is, there are gendered hormone monsters. <laughs> so as soon as the boys start hitting puberty, they get their own hormone monster. Who comes in and gets them to do things. And like, 
not manip like manipulating them in the way that your hormones manipulate you like like introducing they the sub- brain they mess with your brain they give you wet dreams they you know you get an erection when you have to stand up and give a presentation in class and it just comes out of nowhere for no reason plus completely plus. and oh, the girls man. is kind of the same thing you know like right. you you don't call her mom anymore you call her by her name she's sandra and I, don't you feel sassy and you want to get your own first bra and like talking about all this stuff and it's hilarious uh, like it's so funny and there's one episode that touches on the, the concept of women having a sexual appetite mm-hmm. and girls having a sexual appetite. And it's, they're all doing, they have to do this book report in class and all of the girls are reading this. It's like a Harlequin romance. And it's about this woman who's, it, who's betrothed is, is cursed and turned into a horse and so they start having this uh, romantic relationship, completely non-physical, and it's their lack of sex that's the sexiest thing in the entire book. Like, they can't have sex. There's no bestiality in this book or anything. <laughs> but it's, you know, they they long to be with each other, and she brushes his almond-colored coat, and and they spend time together, and they talk to each other, and there's something so erotic about the lack of eroticism. Wow. And it's, it, and it's you know, these the girls are all, like, so in, in love with this book, and the moms are so in love with this book, and the boys in school are like, I don't get it. Does she want to fuck the horse? Is that, I don't understand. And what, the sister of one of them, the older sister of one of them says to them, he's like, okay, hold on to your hat, but girls get horny too. And his head literally explodes. Oh, wow. And that's, that happens that's to all funny. the boys as they're, as they're learning this. And then he goes to school and tells his friends, chicks get horny too. And like consecutively, all three of their heads explode. And it's, <laughs> and it's, de- so it's yes, perfect. girls yeah. are horny. Yeah. Women get horny. Women have sexual appetites. So this idea of not talking about consent and therefore not as they grow up your sexuality as you grow up absolutely like you have to like how can you not but but women for centuries were socialized into not um not showing that side of themselves because it was shameful well even like i mentioned to you earlier i just finished (laughs) that's not what i mentioned to you earlier no (laughs) (laughs) no but i was just re-watching um Downton Abbey. Yes. And there is a bit in, I think it's season five, where Mary is, she's a widow and she, a widower. No, a widow. No, a widow. A widower a widow. is she's the a dude. Widow. She's a widow. And she's being courted by a couple of different men. And one of the men that she's oh, yes. particularly interested in encourages her to go to a hotel with him for a week in London where they'll spend their days going to art galleries and museums and they'll spend their nights Having making sex? love. Yes. And getting to know each other physically, because that is a big part, as she now knows, as a married woman, even though she was married and her virtue was already gone because she killed a man with her vagina. <laughs> she, <laughs> she, you know, there's they they know as older people, as married, formerly married people or she was formerly married anyways, that your physical relationship with your partner is important. And the fact that they were talking about that in 1920s England is like, okay. This is very revolutionary. But it was still very scandalous. Yes, it was. And, and they had to keep it hush-hush. They yes. had to keep it secret. They got adjoining rooms just by, hap- like, quote, by happenstance. They arranged it to look like an accident. But even when Mary decides, no, I don't want to marry you, 
all of a sudden there's all this shame about, well, how could you possibly be physical with me if you didn't already know you wanted to marry me? And it's like, well, wait, 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 wait. That's a double standard. That's not what you said initially. Yeah, that's not what this was about. This was, was about testing the, the waters. Deal. And we may have totally liked being physical with each other, but I don't think you're the right partner for me. Right. Which comes back into this issue that is the crux of the entire episode, this idea of love and sex being not necessarily being, well, being mutually exclusive. Mm-hmm. Sometimes, not always. Sometimes they're mutually exclusive. Sometimes they're not, can ideally. You have, can you have sex just for fun without love? Yes. Can you love someone without necessarily having sex with them? Yes. yes. Can you be in a loving, caring relationship and have great sex? Yes. Yes. Like any and all of the all above. All of those are all valid. Exactly. Yes. And that's really what is so revolutionary, I think, about this episode, just to kind of bring it back and wrap it, yeah. wrap it up, is this idea that... Mary is teaching young Bess about the mutual exclu- the the oftentimes mutual exclusivity of love, love and, and sex, sex and that you don't need to be married yep. and that it's a perfectly natural physical expression but that you're way too young for it and when you're ready you'll know. So it's all about that concept of consent and it's that's very, brilliant. It's very and I don't like to use the word revolutionary, but it is it is pretty groundbreaking for its day. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Completely. Yeah. So what a way to start the season. We're very excited. Very excited. Yes. So that was The Birds and um, Bess. So episode two next week, we have I Am Curious Cooper. Lou breaks his, quote, not fixing people up with Mike Cooper rule and sets up Mary with his best friend. But there's no chemistry. Interesting. So the episode's directed by Jay Sandrich, written by Lorenzo Music and David Davis, which should be interesting. We've seen some interesting episodes from Lorenzo Music. I'm still super jonesed on the fact that Lorenzo Music, the voice of Slimer, if I'm not mistaken, he did a ton of voice work in cartoons, including real Ghostbusters, was one of the writers on the Mary Tyler Moore show. Like, that tickles me to no end. So... That is what we will be doing next week. And in the meantime, if you haven't yet, head on over to Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and look us up at After All Podcast. If you like how the show is going, if you want to make any suggestions, or just tell us how you've been enjoying the show, shoot us an email at afterallpodcast at gmail.com. You can find the show on all major podcasting networks, so be sure to go over to iTunes of all of them and rate, review, and subscribe to the show there. And until next time.